We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors for supporting our programs. Here's a quick message. Have you heard about Prescriptive Health? Prescriptive is a healthcare technology company rewriting the script for the U.S. prescription market. This is a first in pharmacy. The Prescriptive platform enables pharmacies to connect with their patients in a more equitable and transparent ecosystem, which will foster fair pricing, better access to medication, increased adherence, and most importantly, better patient engagement. The Prescriptive team believes in empowering healthcare consumers with easy-to-use tech to fundamentally change how prescriptions reach and impact the lives of people throughout our nation. Join Prescriptive Health in rewriting the script. Learn more at prescriptive.com. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the PuttCast. Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PuttCast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Welcome to the podcast. This is Monique Whitney. I am your host. I am the executive director of Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. And today I am very, very excited about our guests. We have been wanting to have a conversation about pharmacy services, administrative organizations, PSAOs, for practically forever since we started the podcast. And today we finally get to do that. And, and the guests that we have are just the perfect, perfect authority. Um, I'd like to first welcome uh, Scott Pace, who is a friend and someone who really helped me come to understand what was going on in this world many years ago when I first started. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Monique. It's great to be here with you. It is so great to have you here talking with us. And then Bretta. Grinsteiner, who is the Vice President of Network Development with Epic. Welcome. It is so wonderful to have you. Very excited to join you today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. This is going to be such a great conversation, you guys. I cannot begin to tell you how thrilled we are to finally be able to to dispel some of the myths and explain to some of those people out there who don't understand exactly what it is that PSAOs do at PUT. You know, we have worked very long and hard for almost 12 years now to be able to get the, the facts out about what happens in the contractual relationships between pharmacy benefit managers and pharmacies. And frequently what comes up is a question about the PSAO. And so this is why this would be such a great opportunity to start with you, Bretta, and uh, tell us a little bit about, first of all, you know, what it is you do, but in the process, perhaps you could explain to the listeners what is a PSAO? What, what is it that you do? How do you do what you do? Oh my goodness. How much time do I have? <laughs> the role of a PSAO on paper seems simple, but it is very complex. So uh, just a little quick background about myself. I've actually been in this industry for the better part of over two decades. I come from the land of the PBMs and bring that experience with me to this, to this role within Epic Pharmacy Network. 
I thought it was going to be a very easy job. I thought I knew all the games and tricks that PBMs played and I was going to save independent pharmacy. And uh, it has proven to be very humbling and rewarding in ways that I never could have possibly thought of coming over here. So Epic Pharmacy Network is one of, I don't know, about six major players in the PSAO space that offers service administrative offerings and products to independent pharmacies who voluntarily choose to utilize our services for their back-end office type of things that they have to do. They're not a lot of pharmacists aren't necessarily businessmen. They're not accountants. So that is why PSAOs exist, to help bridge the business side of pharmacy so that pharmacists can actually perform and do the services that keep the communities healthy and alive in which they serve. You said something that really struck me, which is you mentioned that it's something that a pharmacy can opt into, right? You mentioned it. I think you used the word voluntary and I was struck by that. That Why would, I guess, a pharmacy be in a PSAO or maybe not be in a PSAO since we're talking about that? Um, I think it's for a number of reasons. I think that there are some independent pharmacies who choose to take on those responsibilities themselves and do a very good job of that. And others employ organizations like the one I work for to enable them to better do those types of back-end services that they may not just have that expertise to do. So yeah, it's really up to the choice of them. There's a flat monthly fee that covers our costs uh, in order to perform those services. So some choose the majority of them. Scott, I think you have the percent um, probably better than I do of the number of the percent of pharmacies who do choose to use a PSAO versus not. Yeah, it's, it's roughly um, 80% of the independents uh, in, in the country use a PSAO. And Bretta, you talked about those services. Why don't, why don't you take a second and explain what those services are just to make sure everybody's level set with the services that the PSAOs do perform? Sure. So primarily, it's helping to manage the money that leaves the pharmacy, right? So the uh, filling of the prescriptions, not the purchasing of the drugs. And uh, as mu- as Scott mentioned, 80% of uh, pharmacies choose to use PSAOs. 80% of their money comes from PBMs, right? So um, the PSAO in our function primarily serves as that intermediary between the PBMs, anywhere from contracting to reconciliation, uh, making sure the pharmacies actually get paid, but even more so that they were paid correctly. We're able to do MAC appeals and chase those um, pennies and nickels and uh, quarters down the road when applicable based on what the pharmacy filled. That also includes helping them with audit services. Um, We're the voice for a lot of legislative and regulatory action that benefit the pharmacies um, in the states that we do business. It's a lot. We we do a lot of back-end services to help with those those functions for the pharmacy. That's really amazing. Contract uh, having contracting, yeah, and that is something we want to talk about, actually. Yes, <laughs> having, all of that comes chance. from having an agreement, right? 
Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, you know what? In fact, why don't we just jump right, right into that? Because one of the questions that, you know, has come up in every stakeholder meeting, I know I've ever participated in members, uh, you know, pup members have shared about there, there's always this question about the contract, the take it or leave it contracts. Uh, and as a PSAO, you participate in that, that those negotiations, those contracts. I wondered if you could share a little bit about your experience of that and, and what happens there. Yeah, it is a very, it's, it's a process and it's a very frustrating process, actually. Um, we are presented with payer PBM contracts on behalf of all of our pharmacies who choose to participate within the PSAO. And uh, when it comes to uh, redlining or negotiating those, we try, but it is very limiting in which we can actually move the needle on any of that. At best, we might be able to veer maybe five, 10 basis points from what's being offered. So all of the contracts presented to PSAOs are quite linear. There's really no difference. And there's really not a lot of room to move actual reimbursement rates. Uh, We uh, examine all of the terms and conditions. So even though we're not necessarily able to Um, change the language in the contracts, we understand them so we can put processes in place that are risk mitigating for the pharmacies who choose to use us. Um, But another take it or leave it component of that is that, let's say Scott's Pharmacy didn't want to participate for whatever reason. That's just unfortunately not possible. Um, We are obliged to have our entire network participate within those terms and conditions of the agreements that we execute on behalf of the network. And so they are take it and leave it on many senses, on many fronts, reimbursement, terms and conditions, and access. And this would be a great time, Scott, to go over to you, because when you and I first met, that was the very thing that the Arkansas Pharmacists Association, which you were then the CEO of, was dealing with. And it was, as I recall, it was very much out of the hands of the pharmacists. It was very, it was even almost going to be out of the hands of your state. Your state wasn't even going to be able to do anything about that. I just wondered if you would share a little bit about how it can be that there's such powerful negotiating power on one side that that even a state would have to go all the way up to say the Supreme Court of the United States. to be able to have some say in being able to keep its pharmacies alive and operational? Yeah, no, it's a great, great question, Monique. Let's, let's, let's take a step back and go back to, you know, those early days in 2017 and 2018, whenever you and I probably first became acquainted. Arkansas passed a maximum allowable cost law in 2015, um, which was Arkansas's Act 900 that led to the Rutledge v. PCMA case that you're referring to there, and so it was it was a privilege to be a part of that and to see that go so far, and and uh, excited that there's still open doors because of that. But I think what really where you and I came uh, into discussions were were in 2018 during a special legislative session of the of the Arkansas General Assembly when we saw reimbursement rates without any changes in contracts just plummet to the, excuse me, to the floor in, in Arkansas. And uh, we were in a situation where we needed some relief from the state. Uh, and that's when we passed the, the PBM Licensure Act uh, in Arkansas that really started to put some constraints around what actions PBMs could and couldn't do in our state. And it was really during that debate 
when I heard for the first time as CEO of the Pharmacist Association, um, PSAOs thrown under the bus as these big, bad intermediaries that should be able to level the playing field for independent pharmacists with the PBMs. And I, I found it to be an incredibly disingenuous argument being made by the PBMs at that time for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, in addition to being a pharmacist, I'm also a lawyer. So I understand what can and can't be done legally from an antitrust perspective. And we can talk about that here in a second. Um, but, but number two, as a pharmacy owner, I just understood the realities of how these contract negotiation processes work. All of us, whether we use a PSAO or not, have some contracts that we have to deal with indiv individually. Um, for example, you know, Humana won't contract with a PSAO. Uh, Express Scripts only contracts with a couple of PSAOs uh, today. And so, for example, for, for my pharmacy, even though I participate with a PSAO, I still have to contract with Express Scripts because my PSCO doesn't deal with Express Scripts, and I do that by myself. And I still have to contract with Humana by myself. And I've also tried to negotiate with both of those people by myself and have had uh, limited or zero success, uh, in fact, um, with both of those trying to do so. So I, so I understand that the, the realities of the marketplace and all of the, all the leverage being the PBM's favor. So as a general pharmacy owner, it would make sense to me that if I use a PSAO that has 5,000 pharmacies in its network, in theory, that should bring some operational efficiency and some negotiating leverage to the table. But in reality, what happens is that those 5,000 pharmacies are actually marketplace competitors. So federal antitrust law prohibits collective boycotting by marketplace competitors uh, or price setting in, an, in any arena with the exception of labor unions, railroads, uh, and sports teams. So when you look at where there is federal protection for marketplace competitors to come together and truly boycott an NFL season or an NBA season or a Major League Baseball season, or uh, for a workers union, for example, that the food services union out in Nevada or wherever it happens to be, you know, they can collectively boycott over wages because they've got federal protection to be able to do so. The rest of the world doesn't have that. And independent pharmacy is one of those groups that doesn't have that protection in the law. So the PSAOs bring, as their name says, an operational efficiency into the table, an administrative function that I otherwise would have to do by myself. But they're very limited in what they can you know, negotiate, because if they don't like the terms that are offered, then the, the response from the PBM is, okay, fine, we'll work around you and we'll just go to each of your individual members and have them sign the contract individually, which is what we see happen a lot of times. And it's frustrating that that happens because that undermines the PSAO's ability to sit at the table and say, you know, our members are strong and, and want to only work through us. So we kind of hurt ourselves whenever that happens. Uh, but but more importantly, I mean, we just we have the the reality that the PBMs hold all the leverage in either situation, and that's that's really the frustrating piece. I know, uh, for example, um, I got the twenty twenty four Part D offering from uh, one of the big threes Part D plans uh, a couple of weeks ago that said, "Hey, you're going to be auto enrolled in this plan." Uh, unless you send me a letter saying that you you don't want to participate, and it was terms that were twenty five and thirty dollars below my cost on brand name prescription drugs. And so 
you know, I, that's not the business that I'm in. And I turned around and, and sent a letter saying, I don't want to be, I don't want to participate, but it takes active participation and not just signing what comes in front of you. You've got to really read and understand when you have to opt out because these, these contracts that are drawn up by the PBMs are to Brett's point, you know, very one-sided, uh, very much drawn up in their favor and you got to be paying close attention. And so that's why I use the PSAO is because I know they're paying close attention to terms beyond just the payment terms. So you got to pay attention to the payment terms, but the, certainly the, the other, the other functions, the promptness of pay, the ability to opt out of a contract, the, the audit provisions and what, what protects you, et cetera. You know, those are things that they look out for um, that I might not even think of uh, myself. So Long-winded answer, but at the but at the end of the day, I've seen PSAOs be used as body shields by PBMs in legislative battles, primarily because they're another acronym that starts with P that nobody knows what they do unless you're in, yeah. the, in the trenches of pharmacy. And it's really disingenuous on the PBMs part to throw them out there as a distraction technique to keep us from focusing on the PBMs, which is where I like to keep my eyes focused on. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been in meetings too where I've seen that happen. They they you know all of a sudden you're having a conversation that looks like it's going in a direction that might be productive, and then all of a sudden you're zigzagging, you know, talking about these. Well, the PSAO should have done something about this. They have the bargaining power, and I think that's what makes Breta what you were saying earlier so incredibly important because even before we started this conversation today, you and I were talking, you're saying we're, you're with Epic, right? And so you're not some large organization equivalent in size to even a small PBM. You're, you know, you're like any other business out there, right? You've got the resources you've got and the people you've got. And here are these massive corporations. I'm sitting at in the top 15 of the fortune 500 and they're using, you know, PSAOs to kind of shield themselves from cover, which is for, for, really context, for context, Epic pharmacy network has 11 distinct employees that actually support the PSAO functions. So uh, yes, we are considerably smaller. We charge our members roughly. I mean, it, it depends on, um, a couple of things, um, but roughly $350 a month for those services. We are independently owned. Our CEO is an independent pharmacy owner. So yes, I would love to have the deep pockets and wealth of resources that our um, PBM friends have, but that is not the case for any PSAO, even the larger ones associated with different ownership structures than us. Yeah. Yeah. I think I thought I heard that. So I just about everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I, I office in Phoenix, Arizona. And I think uh, I last heard that Caremark has something like four sites here in the Phoenix metro area. And that's just, you know, one PBM with <laughs> its campuses here. And I don't, I don't even think that it's limited to here. I'm pretty sure that, you know, we'll, we'd find out that they and the, the, other large PBMs have, you know, offices all over the place and not to mention the things that they're doing off seas, but I guess that's a topic for another time. But on that note, I think and one of the- for that one too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> would love to talk about the offshoring. One of the things that I think would be helpful is uh, maybe to clear up a misunderstanding. I'm pretty sure it's a misunderstanding, but maybe it's not. 
in that case, you can clear up my misunderstanding. But so some of the PSAOs are part of large wholesalers. And there's this thing called a group purchasing organization or a GPO. And the idea I think there is that it's supposed to help uh, smaller pharmacies be able to uh, purchase drugs at a lower acquisition cost. Do PSAOs engage in any kind of assistance for their pharmacies with uh, being able to purchase drugs at a lower price, or is that completely separate from what a PSAO does? Completely separate. I mean, the, the two couldn't be further away. Each organization has their individual goal, and the the two they never shall never meet. Scott? Yeah, and no, I was just going to say, it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Monique, because it's one of the PBM's big talking points. They purposely conflate virtually everything a PSAO does with either a PBM itself or with a buying group, as you just mentioned. And in one state, they actually tried to purposely conflate a front-end merchandiser with what a PSAO uh, does, trying to trying to claim that PSAOs came in and, and merchandised your over-the-counter goods for you. So I mean it's it's a little it's a little crazy what we've seen out there from the PBMs. But keep in mind that a group purchasing organization is involved with the acquisition of a product and helping you negotiate a price for buying your drugs. The PBM is the one who processes the claims, obviously, we know that. And the PSAO is the one who is involved in helping you uh, get a price for the sale of your drug. So, you know, buying group, purchase, PSAO, sale, and they are completely different functions. And the PBM in the middle is the one who is trying to cause confusion um, very, very purposely. I mean, it, and look, let's yeah. be honest, if I was in their position with all the arrows that are coming at them from states, from municipalities, from clients, from lawyers, from Congress, uh, I would probably look for a, a diversion tactic too. Um, and so it's just really important to set the record straight for pharmacists to understand, okay, this, I use one of these what exactly is their purpose and 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 to understand are they perfect no they don't have the market the, the PSAOs aren't don't have the marketplace leverage that they wish they did i mean I, they don't have the marketplace leverage i wish they had right um i use one because it's efficient for me to use it versus banging my head against the wall myself trying to obtain and evaluate and and execute contracts um but at the end of the day, you've got to have those contracts for the operation of, of a modern pharmacy in a world where 80 plus percent of your patients, 90 plus percent of your patients have a funded benefit. You've got to have an access to the contract to get access to their funded benefit. And so you have to do it on the least offensive mechanism possible within the, the guise of the marketplace dynamics that exist. And that that's hard for us to realize, right? Because we want everything to be as fair as we want it to be without any marketplace forces, you know, stopping us from, from getting what we want. And the other side wants the same. They just have the leverage in the middle of that. And so it makes a really frustrating world that we, we all live in as, as, as you well know. Honey. Oh gosh. Yes, I know. And I, and I'm just loving this conversation because between the two of you, I'm already envisioning some different infographics we can be doing to help, you know, explain this issue a little bit better. There, there's seriously nothing more frustrating than trying to level the playing field. So, you know, we, and I'm just going to, for everyone who listens, they know it from time to time I get on my soapbox about this, but we have this country where we talk about small business being the backbone of the economy. And we talk about how much we love the U S healthcare system and 
how it's really supposed to be about patient-centered care. And yet we have a system where consistently we're seeing providers being driven out of business. We're seeing patients are not the center of this thing. And then we're seeing these really massive publicly held corporations that are, you know, calling all the shots. And here we are trying to just level this field just a little bit so that it somewhat mirrors what we say out of our mouths in this country to everybody in the world about who we are. And you'll be having this conversation, say, for example, with uh, the trade lobby for the PBMs, which, and this happened to me recently. Uh, And then the next thing you know, you'll have them say something really innocuous, but completely confusing. Uh, In our case, it was, oh, there's been this huge misunderstanding. We don't we don't put together the pharmacy networks. We don't have anything to do with that. We simply manage the networks, which then of course sounds completely innocuous and, and like, well, what are we all even doing here? Right. But it, it's this slippery sort of way in which without even referencing PSAOs, they're starting to use them as body shells They're trying to position it. Like, you know, here come these bad independent pharmacies with their complaints about not being able to make money and all. And it just becomes this sort of like gross, icky sort of feeling problem. When in reality, it's a very real situation and organizations like yours, Bretta, right. Or, or, or like any of the pharmacies that, you know, you're fighting for Scott, you've been fighting for through your career. Really, these are people and businesses that are trying to apply their trade. They're trying to provide care. They're trying to keep up maybe a business that's been in the family for generations. And they're really trying to do this, you know, with at the highest level of integrity and standard, and they're constantly having to fight just for the right to do that. And so I think it's so that's like, and that's my long way to talk and I'll finish there. But <laughs> I think it's so important that we talk about this because there are these different players, right? There are these different organizations and, and, I think we need to understand what the roles are, right? So for us, that's what makes this conversation today so incredibly valuable. I think that's a wonderful point, though, Monique, and I want to make a couple of, couple of just mm-hmm. follow-ons to that. First of all, you're right. You know, we proclaim to be a major capitalistic country, and we believe in the free market. And and I think for the most part, all of us would, would generally say, yes, that's that's true. When you've got a free market, you've got innovation, you've got competition, you've got all the things that you need to have the best possible product at the least possible price. And, and, you know, that's, that's what our system is based upon. And and I would say that uh, in in the PSAO marketplace, if you want to think of that as a marketplace, it's pretty free market to, to most extent. I mean, you can choose to use an independent PSAO like Breda's or like Align RX or like pharmacy first. If you are with a wholesaler and want to use their PSAO, you can use it. Um, you're not mandated to. And if you don't like any PSAOs, you can just do it on your own. That's about as free market as it comes. And for the most part, um, other than the headache of having to deal with the, the contracts yourself and keep up with the reply timelines and reading them and executing them and stuff, you can choose to do that. That's pretty free market. Compare that to the PBM marketplace uh, and the healthcare insurance marketplace for the most part, golly, that's pretty much anything but free market, right? Their, their whole MO today seems to be, how do we restrict your choice as a patient? How do we tell you which drug you can and can't take? How do we tell you which physician you can and can't see? How do we tell you which pharmacy you can or can't use? How do we make you only use the retail pharmacy we want you to, or only use the specialty pharmacy that we own, or 
you know, it seems like everything that we hold dear from a capitalistic society is the antithesis of what our healthcare system and the pharmacy benefit system has become, where competition is good everywhere except over here. Uh, and it yes. just makes no sense to me that a policymaker can be all pro-capitalism over here and all support support the unified, vertically integrated, give all the money to one particular group and kill capitalism over here. And it just, it, it blows my mind. It absolutely that, does. That's my soapbox. Sorry to, sorry to get on that. <laughs> Brenna, do you have a soapbox? Would you like to do your soapbox? Oh, now? I have a lot. I have a lot of soapboxes. And I think you guys have covered a fair number of mine. I will say that, I mean, as Scott mentioned, I understand um, why PSAOs are coming to the forefront now. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. I'm a fan of no, there's no such thing as bad press. It's bringing to light what um, independent pharmacies face. It's bringing to light the expenses that they have to put out there in order to um, just manage their business and deal with these third-party entities. Um, we want nothing more than transparency in the market. I mean, and one of my soapboxes is that the things that come out from the PBMs is this argument that somehow we we hold on to the pharmacy's money. Um, PBMs may do that through sped, spread pricing and other mechanisms. However, we are strictly passed through. We only charge that monthly fee. We pay every penny out to the pharmacies that we receive on behalf of them from the PBMs and such. So uh, I think that it's a great opportunity and thank you for these this platform and, and others like yours to be able to bring awareness and then just really shoot the holes through that PBM falseness that they that they continue to put out there. Well, you're very, you're very welcome. Uh, I feel compelled before I say anything else to say and thank you and your staff, your, your 11 people, I think you mentioned, and, and for every PSAO out there, thank you for the hours of time that you save pharmacy owners like Scott, because Scott, earlier when you were describing everything that you were going through, all I could think of was you and every other pharmacy owner out there who, who spent hours of their life that they will never get back trying to research contracts and understand you know, what is in your best interest and what is not. Cause it's, you know, it really is time that, um, I know you, you can't, you can't get it back. I actually have one on my desk right now that I have. <laughs> have, have hey, um, Monique to, to, to Brenda's point that she just made though, I, I do want to have a follow on conversation to what Brenda just yeah. said, because she did mention that the PSOs will pass through and they are, but I do think that that sometimes gets confused by, some of the pharmacies because some of the PSAOs assist with managing DRPs, for example, uh, and have to deal with effective rates. And and so I, I didn't know, Bretta, do you want to speak about that a little bit to, uh, just to sure. let them understand how that, that works? Because I do know that that creates some consternation for pharmacy thinking in some cases they don't get all of what um, is due to them, which is just not true. But these are some things that the PBMs extra fees and mm -hmm. um, network management that you have to to do on on the pharmacy's behalf. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, all PSAOs exist for the same reason. We are all here to help with those back end functions for independent pharmacies. 
Now, with internally, there are different processes that each of the PSAOs employ to manage those contracts. Some manage them, especially when you're talking in regards to like, let's say, effective rates. Some manage them at a chain code level, much like chains do, and uh, therefore there is an overall reconciliation at the end of the year that is at that chain code level. There are other PSAOs, like our own EPN, who manages effective rates at a claim level. So we treat the effective rate much like we would a normal contracted rate, an AWP discount, and each claim applies to that. So Every single one of the pharmacies who decides to join an organization like ours that manages the effective rate to that level goes into that knowing that we will employ, and I'm doing an air quote that you cannot see, um, an escrow type process that states, oh, you were reimbursed AWP minus 12. The agreement is AWP minus 20. We're going to hold on to those, that, um, that delta. For the pharmacy who, who was paid AWP minus 35 to make it whole for each pharmacy, each claim, then is actually reimbursed at that, at that contract and at that effective rate. So even though it's a completely pass-through, some pharmacies may not see that entire reimbursement until the um, end of year reconciliation process. And that's, and I was just going to add to that, that's not a function of anything that the, the PSAO has done other than manage the contract rate that the PBM has put out in the contract assigned. So that is generally a function of the PBM overpaying one pharmacy and underpaying another pharmacy and Breta and her PSAO staff making sure that everyone gets the benefit of the terms that the contract said and that there's not a winner and not a loser because the PBM overpaid one and underpaid another. Uh, that's that's the best way I know how to explain that. I don't know if that's said well or not, Breta, but that's, I, I, that's how I I hope I can take that snippet out and use it in many of our education forums that we do <laughs> to educate the entire pharmacy community about effective rates. So... Yes, but but, but, it, but it is but it, it is it is confusing though because you know it's we expect as pharmacists for what the claim says back from the PBM to be what you you know what it is type of a deal and I think because of the many of the games that the PBMs have put into place whether it's effective rates or DLRs or whatever it happens to be uh, it makes us managing our back end dollars that much more difficult. And, I just and, thought it was impor important for you to have a chance to, to say that, Britta. And I, thank you for that, because I also think it's important to give the pharmacies choice on how they want the, those contracts managed, and they have that choice in the market. So we're coming to the end of the podcast, and we're talking about something that is extremely sensitive and, uh, at least in my experience, upsetting for pharmacy owners, and that is the, this matter of DIR fees. It would be great to have you both come back for a future episode and, and to talk more about that. My board often talks about the coming, I'll see if I say this right, the DIR apocalypse. I don't know Financial if that makes any apocalypse. sense to you. Yeah. <laughs> There's yes. a lot of acronyms out there. I've been calling it the DIR hangover just for the record. So, uh. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There, there's uh, because I believe it's this 
in 2024, right, that the DIR fees are moved to the point of sale and a pharmacy will be able to see up front what it, what it is. But in the meantime, there's what is going to have been needed to be collected and then clawed back. So for people who are listening that don't know anything about direct and indirect remuneration fees, uh, they're, they at least at one time were uh, Medicare related fees. That's what they're supposed to be. Uh, that term has sometimes become a catch-all for all types of fees and clawbacks, but that's a topic for another time. What I would love as we come to the end of this podcast, and believe me, I'm having you both back as soon as we possibly can to talk more, is I'd love to get your perspective on what should lawmakers consider, uh, what should pharmacy owners consider when the topic of uh, a pharmacy services administrative organization comes up in their conversations, so it's really two arenas that I'm talking about. One is, you know, when your pharmacies are are saying this is happening to us, and the PBM says, "Oh, but the PSAO, right, that body shield thing, Scott, you referred to." There's that. And then there's also you, the pharmacy owner. What what what's something that, or at least one thing, you you need to understand or know about your PSAO, particularly on these topics of the take it or leave it contracts or, or just having your back. So I'll leave it at there. It's a pretty wide open set of questions, but anything you'd like to say about that as we you know come to the end of this podcast before we have you back again. Well, I'll obviously let um, Scott speak to the independent pharmacy owner component, and I'm happy to weigh in on all of the legislation going on in numerous states that are now embedding PSAOs within PBM type of regulatory uh, language. And it's a, like I said, I, I like hard conversations and I, and I like having a seat at those discussions because as a PSAO, we have no problem going through some of the requirements within states when it comes to transparency and anything that will ultimately benefit our independent pharmacy members. The issue comes into play when they try to tie PSAOs to PBM regulations and requirements. We do not, as a PSAO, influence drug costs, co-pays, formularies. Um, We have no seat at the table in any sort of fiduciary um, reporting requirements. Um, We would have to pull out of states if some of those obligations were put on us. We do not have the income streams to support the $30,000, $100,000 type fines that are put out there and some of the reporting requirements and registration requirements. So um, being able to articulate that at the state level is incredibly important. We don't want to shy away from telling people who we are and being transparent in the market, but to lump us in with a PBM would absolutely uh, not allow us to service mem- member pharmacies in those states anymore, then we would have to pull out. Yeah. And, and look, we actually saw that happen, Monique, uh, in Maryland a year or so ago when Maryland's legislature in 2020, during the, the height of, or maybe it was 2021, right, right around the height of, of, of COVID, I can't remember now, passed the, an erroneous PSAO piece of legislation that put PBM prohibitions on PSAOs. Well, PSAOs don't process claims. PSAOs don't originate contracts. PSAOs don't do PBM functions. But the Maryland General Assembly put prohibitions and disclosure requirements on PSAOs for functions they don't do and for things they couldn't disclose because they didn't have. And so one of the PSAOs, one of the independent PSAOs in particular, pulled out of of Maryland and left 
a couple of dozen independents um, having to either contract for themselves or find uh, another PSO who is willing to take the risk to operate in Maryland on their own. And uh, the Maryland General Assembly ultimately went back last year with, with our help and education uh, and changed that uh, statute so that the reporting requirements made more sense. Uh, but bad policy can be made when the PBMs are pointing fingers and the pharmacy community goes, uh, "Okay, sure, why not? Let's let's uh, let's let's do let's do that." It's not just enough to have change for the sake of change. It's got to be good policy that is focused in the right area. And I think the PBMs have done a good job at at like I said earlier, using PSAOs as body shields. And I, I promise promise my independent pharmacy owner friends that if they go down that path, they're going to take away the ability to really put the focus on where it needs to be, which is on the PBMs who are the, the controllers of all things in the in the pharmacy space right now. Yeah, that's really, that's an excellent point. I know I said this, but we're winding down, but one last question. Is there a central place where people can get information about PSAOs, adjust the facts, or is there anything like uh uh, an organization of PSAOs, anything like that? Where no, it's a, it's, it's a good it's a good question. There's an informal coalition of PSAOs that we just call the PSAO Coalition. It's housed within HDA, which is the Health Healthcare Distribution Alliance. Um, that's the group that represents the wholesalers. But with all um, you know appreciation to them, they've actually opened their doors to this coalition to the independent PSAOs too, people like Breta at Epic and uh, Align RX, um, Lucas Cootie and Melanie Maxwell out there at Align and, and our ph friends Pharmacy First. They're all participants in this, this coalition as well as Health Mart Atlas and Elevate and LeaderNet. And so to me, it's, it's a really good forum where anytime there's state legislation that comes up, the whole group of PSAOs are there evaluating it and talking about it as a whole. And, and HDA has done a really nice job and their staff of helping to facilitate um, that discussion. And on their website, Monique, there is there is a uh, PSAO page and it's just um, hda.org slash PSAOs, uh, PSAOS. Uh, and it's good good information about the services that PSAOs do. And just as importantly, the services that they don't do, uh, that they that the PBMs try to confuse them with. And there's also a really good um, white paper uh, that was developed that's uh, by a group called Avalier Health, which is an independent consulting firm, basically, on the role of PSAOs for independents and small chains. And it goes through those things that they do and don't do. Uh, and differentiates those from the PBMs uh, uh, because that's where the PBMs try to conflate. And so um, it's really, it's a good resource um, and uh, we're appreciative of, of the different state associations and national associations that have used that to help educate policymakers because this is a confusing area, right? We are a confusing industry. If we if we know nothing else, it's, it's trying to educate people on what we do and how we do it uh, is a huge challenge. Um, and this makes it just a little bit um, harder when the PBMs are throwing other other issues into it. I'm so glad to know that there is a resource out there and I'll make sure that at PUT, we help point people in the right direction because this is important. And because, you know, it, 
we are in a time where it should be, you would think it would be getting a little bit less complicated because I remember the days before, you know, you couldn't even, nobody knew what a PBM was and now people know what a PBM is, but for some reason it's getting more, more complicated, right? We know what it is, we're getting laws and yet somehow it's still getting more complicated. So, uh, so Bretta, Scott, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Just, you know, want you to know how much we appreciate you and your efforts and all that you're doing for the pharmacies out there, for the patients. They're the ones that benefit from the work that you do. Uh, For everyone who is listening today, thank you for joining us. If you would like to have more information about this topic, please contact us. You can contact me at monique at truthrx.org. If you would like to know more about HUD, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency and what we're doing, or if you'd like to join, please see our website, truthrx.org. And until next time, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next month.